0: Portions of the Oilers Now podcast are brought to you by proamsports.ca. 630 Ched and the
1: Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office equipment solutions North America wide.
2: Yeah, Digitex does that.
1: D I G I T E X.ca on Oilers Radio. 630 Ched. It's 105
2: in Edmonton, second hour of Oilers Now. As always, it's brought to you by Digitex. Digitex has their office printer and supply needs covered. They do it all and could be doing it for you right now. Some guests on Oilers Now receive gift certificates from Japanese Village. Three locations, downtown, south side, and on the north side, you can call on Oilers Now hotline 780-496-0063. Brought to you by the River Cree Resort and Casino. They have Nazareth on August 10th tickets at ticketmaster.ca Brendan Ulrich with you and for Bob Stoffer this week, Devin Horn's helping out behind the glass, Bob of course in Disneyland we heard from Bob uh, at 12.15 on the show we heard from Craig Simpson out in Vegas for uh, game 3 of the Western Conference Final, now we head out to Regina and we're joined by friend of the show, Sam Cosentino the lead uh, junior analyst for Sportsnet, he's getting set for the Memorial Cup Sam, how are things going?
1: Yeah, doing great, Brendan. Just getting uh, kind of back up the speed here with the uh, Regina Pats. Spent some time with their coaching staff yesterday and out on the ice today. So just kind of getting the feel what, uh, for what they have to bring to the table here for the 100. It's, uh, it's going to be fun.
2: Well, speaking of uh, the Regina coaching staff, we will have John Paddock on at 135 as well. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Memorial Cup. will start there. We'll get to some of the, the draft stuff uh, later. But, um I mean, what's the biggest storyline for you, Sam, heading into this one? There were a few upsets, I guess, along the way, maybe a few surprises in terms of teams in this tournament. Uh, But what's, uh, I guess, the biggest uh, storyline that uh, you're looking for in this tournament?
1: I think it's a little bit similar to last year. When you look at Windsor, who uh, had a very tough opponent in London, um, in the OHL playoffs last year, they ended up having a a big layoff and came back to to win the whole thing. And, uh, you know, Regina finds itself in a similar situation Unfortunately, with the playoff structure here in the Western Hockey League, they had a very tough opponent in Swift Current in round number one. Uh, And then, you know, you look at uh, losing in seven games, and of course the Broncos go on to to win the entire league championship. So I think that has to be kind of the the main story going in. But we'll probably put that one to bed, uh, you know, after Friday night and then get down to business uh, with how the rest of the tournament's going to play out.
2: Well, Hamilton being here as well, knocking off uh, Sault Ste. Marie, a bit of a surprise there.
1: Was a bit of a surprise, uh, but as the series wore on, you started to see some things in Sault Saint Marie's game that weren't really evident uh, throughout the course of the, the regular season. Um, you know, the Hayden Verbeek was out of the lineup; he was a real key piece for him. He's kind of the engine uh, for them. Uh, look at Connor Timmons, who didn't play the elimination game six. Uh, World Junior defenseman and one of the best defensemen in all the CHL. So they didn't have those two key guys available for them. Uh, you know, from Verbeek the entire series. Uh, but the flip side of that is Hamilton's a really good team with a lot of forward depth, a lot of age and experience, and veteran leadership on the back end. So they're a team that, uh, you know, I, I think surprised people in only that the uh, Eastern Conference in the West in the Ontario Hockey League isn't traditionally strong. Uh, the one thing that Hamilton was able to do is dispose of their opponents in the first three series in five games. So they had that perfect amount of being able to play high level competition yet to be still being able to get rest and when you think about robert thomas leading the way who to me is the most nhl ready player in the chl uh, you know he, he's the leader for that group um and after watching him play a little bit it it became less surprising as the the finals went on
2: yeah, Thomas is a stud. Maybe the second-best uh, guy is Sam Steele in uh, this tournament as well, a local guy drafted by the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, how would you uh, rate his game heading into this tournament? Uh, he had an outstanding year last year, a little bit of a drop-off this season, but still a really good prospect.
1: No question. I mean, Sam Steele is the, and Robert Thomas are almost mirror images of each other in terms of size, in terms of point-producing ability, uh, and also in, in terms of playing a 200-foot game. Uh, they both have excellent speed. They both handle the puck at high speed. So they're two unbelievable players. And Sam Steele, you know, is the Western Hockey League player of the year last year. Led all CHLers with 131 points. Yes, that point production dropped off a little bit. But his line mates changed a little bit. and You know, battling through and missing time, playing with the World Juniors also had an impact on that.
2: Uh, I want to ask you about two Euler prospects uh, in this tournament. Uh, Stuart Skinner, of course, uh, Great in uh, the WHL playoffs, uh, Out-dueled Carter Hart, I guess uh, you could say in the in the final to help uh, Swift Current win the WHL championship. Uh, where do you think uh, his game is headed in the future? Do you think uh, he has the potential to maybe be the Oilers' goaltender of the future?
1: Yeah, I would say yeah, but that position just takes a long time. So, but I'm am an Oilers fan. I'm not really thinking about Stuart Skinner and 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 coming in and, and kind of saving the day or being my top guy here for. Probably three, maybe even four years. I mean, yeah, as he progressed well, no question about it. You know, signing a contract is kind of the first step. Um, winning a championship is a really good step there with Swift Current. I think his play in this tournament's, uh, you know, going to be key in, into what happens to, to Stewart down the road. But he's probably a guy who's going to need some time in the American Hockey League. Um, and, and as is the case with all goaltenders, they just take a lot longer to develop but in terms of being a high-end prospect and a guy that, uh, you know, is going to be a part of the future for Edmonton, I I do believe that is the case.
2: The other guy uh, from the Oilers in this tournament is uh, Cam Hebeg. He was traded from Saskatoon to Regina during the season, and uh, he had 32 points in 26 games with Regina. He had 8 points in 7 playoff games as well, 21-year-old. What do you like about his game? Do you think uh, he has the potential to maybe one day be an NHLer?
1: I love him because uh, anyone who's kind of battled adversity, you go through the draft, you know, he played for some pretty um, poor Saskatoon teams, then he gets traded, you know, he's a tireless worker, he's a he's a gym rat, and he's a guy who really nothing has been handed to him, and that's why I like him so much. But watching him play, his engine never stops, he's a hard worker, he's a smart player, uh, and he has the skill to score goals. So that's a nice combination to have. In terms of his pro prospects down the line for the Edmonton Oilers, I think where, where it works out well for him is the fact that he can be a guy who can play in in your top or bottom six. So, for example, early on in his Oilers career, if and when he does get to play for Edmonton, he's probably not going to start in your top six. But because he's smart enough, because he works hard enough, you're going to be able to give him minutes in that bottom six and be able to lean on him there um, in, in those situations. And as he learns the program as he continues to get bigger and stronger, I do think he is a guy that that probably fits somewhere in your middle six, you know, maybe two and three years down the road.
2: Chatting with uh, Sam Cosentino, he's out in Regina for the Memorial Cup, uh, Sportsnet's lead uh, junior analyst. Um... Noah Dobson, I guess, would be uh, the top-rated prospect here to follow at the Memorial Cup. His stock has been uh, rising after a strong season. Uh, I can't remember where you had him in your top ten in the latest rankings. I'm just looking at it right here. Did you have him at six? Yeah, I think it was or seven. Or seven. I don't have him. Yeah, six or seven.
1: Right yeah, I think there. it's
2: seven. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I guess he has a chance to maybe uh, even move up uh, higher than that after a strong Memorial Cup. I mean, all eyes are going to be on him here in terms of all the scouts watching this tournament.
1: You know what, he's such an interesting guy, um, but the package itself, if you just look at the size, you look at him being a right shot, you look at his skating ability, you know, he shoots the puck really well, that package itself is really neat. Where where he's impressed me the most is his ability to, to adapt his game. If you go back to the summer and win gold with the Ivan Olenka team for Canada, he played more of a defense, um, you know, shutdown style of game. Then in the regular season, he was... Uh, fantastic in terms of producing points, one of the top 10 scorers in the QMJHL in terms of point production. Then you got into the playoffs, and he's been a blend of both of those guys. I thought in their third-round series, he played more of a defensive style of game, and then again in the championship series against Blandville, he started to put uh, the offensive game back to work again. So I love his adaptability. He's really smart. Another really cool thing about him is that he's a kid who just he loves the game. He watches games on TV, and not just NHL games, but junior games, and he's aware of what's going on in the news and the hockey world. Um, I like guys that are dedicated to their craft that much, and he is one of those players.
2: Well, we had Dan Mara not too long ago, and he said uh, that he believes Dobson's sort of uh, you know, development track model sort of reminds him of Alex Petrangelo. So I don't know if he can get yeah. there as a player, but uh, would you say that's a fair comparison?
1: Well, It's funny that uh, I independently I, I was kind of thinking about the same thing. Uh, going back to our prospects game, because you think about a big uh, right shot guy, and you know if you go back to when Petro played, I think he returned to junior on three different occasions after getting NHL games, which is which is almost unheard of. But you, know, you got to give the St. Louis Blues credit for being patient uh, with him in his developmental curve, because you'd have to make the argument now that he's probably a you know a top five, a top ten defenseman in the NHL today.
2: Uh, looking at the draft rankings here, Sam, the others have the 10th overall pick. Um, I think they need a right shot defenseman for the future, and there are some intriguing options here. We just talked about Dobson and a few others in the mix. Before we get to that, would you say there is uh, sort of a consensus top four, and do you think, uh, now that we know the draft law, or the draft order, that any of those players would ever slide out of the top four? We're talking Sveshnikov, Dallin, uh Zadina, and Kachuk. Are those the top four prospects in the draft, consensusly? Hey.
1: Yeah, I, I think those guys are, are right there. You might see a bit of a, a flip flop, you know, after after Rasmus, but I don't know. I, I can't see that top four changing. Somewhat interchangeable for sure, but I don't see them changing. But uh, you know, the one thing that you're talking about with those other guys is that they're they're all wingers. So the center position is you have to go down the list a little bit before you find your your top rated uh, centerman, which is a bit of an oddity. Um, You know, in, in in the draft, normally you're seeing uh, a top notch center sit somewhere in that top five, but that's not the case here this year.
2: Well, yeah, that's interesting. I could see some teams stepping up if they want a center and taking a guy a little bit early. Because after those four, it's like sort of anything goes after that. I know in your rankings, you have Boquist at five, Wallstrom at six, Dobson seven, Bouchard eight, and Hughes at nine. I guess what stands out, you know, with Boquist that, you ha- that has him ahead of some of those other defensemen?
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, again, you look at the Swedish uh, defensemen, they've really come a long way. Um, You know, in the last four or five years, their World Juniors teams are evidence of that. Uh, But it's that high-end playmaking ability. It's that dynamic element to his game that I think probably places him slightly ahead. Now, is he a smaller guy? Yeah, sure. But I think when I'm looking inside the top ten, one thing that I'm thinking about if I'm drafting as an NHL team is I want at least one dynamic element to that player's game. And I think Boquist has that in terms of the offense and and showing some flash and dash.
2: Uh, What do you think about uh, Dobson and... uh, Are you talking about Dobson already? I mean, Bouchard and Hughes.
1: Well, Evan Bouchard's a really, really interesting guy because um, at times you watch him and you wonder if he can pace the game. But he plays so many minutes in London that when you watch him when the chips are down, when he has to play hard minutes, he has the ability to do that um, he kind of gives the impression that he might not be in great shape the, of the, night. Listen, the guy who's, he tests well in terms of strength maybe better than anyone else on that London night team so he, he can be deceptive and I think you really have to do your due diligence on a player like that in order to get the, the true read and, and true projection for what he's going to be down the road um, but I, I really like him you know he's got a big powerful shot He's um, a guy that uh, 76 points this year with London to lead all OHL defensemen. So there's a lot of elements to to like to his game. When it comes to Hughes, he too has that dynamic element in terms of walking the line and being able to uh, control a power play and that sort of thing. I think the one maybe knock to his game is his ability to defend. Um, When you talk about some of these new age defensemen, the smaller guys who are good skaters and good puck movers, one thing that they that they're able to do in terms of helping their defensive side of the game is being able to get back on pucks quickly and making an, and processing the decision to move that puck right away. So Quinn does have that element to him, but if you get into kind of a station to station game where you're defending against the cycle, that's probably one area where he might be slightly deficient and that probably moves him down, but then again, not by a whole lot because of his offensive capabilities.
2: Well, if you were the Oilers, Sam, and I know you have all these D going before number 10 in your rankings, that's not necessarily a mock draft, but I, I, we, we see it every year, some of these D slide a little bit. Uh, Fowler is an example back when he was drafted mm-hmm. and uh, Chicharron as well. So I assume the Oilers, if they stay at 10, will have a chance to draft one of these D and they need a right shot puck moving guy that can uh, you know run the power play so there's all this talk about maybe trading the pick all these names are out there that are being thrown out there but if you were the Oilers would you be confident uh, in this draft that you can maybe get that number one right shot power play guy at number 10?
1: Uh, I think so I don't think you can pigeonhole yourself though if if you're the Oilers I, I just don't think to be honest with you any team is in that position because If you're saying we need a right-shot defenseman to run the power play, does that mean he's going to step right in and do that? I I don't think that that's going to necessarily be the case. I don't know if there's going to be, you know, even if you look at that top 10, will there be four, maybe five of those guys will play in the NHL next year? So over the course of when you might expect that prospect to get to your team, if you're projecting them as early as next year, that might not be the case. Is there someone in your system? Is there someone that you can acquire over the next two to three years where – this player that you pick at 10 is going to develop, uh, and if you pigeonhole your, pigeon- yourself to to a right-shot defense who can run the power play, well, maybe that guy comes from another area and arrives a lot sooner than you, than you expect your first-round pick of this year to. So I, I think you still have to go on best player available. Um, you know, positional, if you have two players that you think are very similar, uh, then at that point do you lean on the positional bias? And, of course, we're always talking about defensemen and centermen ahead of wingers and so that might be a situation where it would present a bit of a conundrum for Edmonton picking at 10 um, where positional bias might have some impact but I still think they're going to get a really good player there and my expectation isn't for that player to to start with the Oilers as early as next year.
2: Yeah, I know with you on that I was just looking at it more like okay for years you've been saying the Oilers need that right shot guy and it's like Mm -hmm. okay they're in position to draft one right here let's just take that guy that's what I was more sort of getting at.
1: No, no, for sure, and, and and no doubt that that's gonna that's going to be a consideration. But if you get into a situation with the Oilers and the next best right shot defenseman is you know fifteen on your board, and you see guys that are ahead of that um, that are centers or even wingers for that matter, I, I still think that that's that's the way to go. Um, th- listen, finding that number one defenseman, if I think about it how many is there in the National yeah. Hockey League? Like, like, true number one Eric Carlson-type defense. And how many in the NHL do you think there are? Maybe 10? That might be a bit high. So the, the hopes of, of getting that guy are, you know, they're slim. Uh, the next part, the next piece to that is, if you do get that guy, you better keep him, because they're pretty tough to find. Um, and then, I, you know, you kind of harken back to 2008, I think, about Petrangelo, uh, Drew Doughty, Eric Carlson... I would say those three guys are true number one defensemen. Uh, But in the draft since then, uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of getting that true number one guy. So that is definitely a a coveted area.
2: Great stuff as always, Sam. Really appreciate your input, and we'll be uh, watching you at the Memorial Cup starting on Friday. Thanks for taking some time here.
1: Yeah, okay. Thanks a lot for having me on, Brendan. Take care.
2: That's Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. Always great to chat with him. He knows uh, the junior game like no one else. So, uh great input there as always and uh, we're getting a bunch of text messages on uh, some of the comments and some of the prospects here so you can text us at 6 30 if you'd like to uh, comment on those opinions on some of the d and uh it is interesting that he mentioned dobson comparing to Petroangelo. that's the second time we've heard that damar has said that and uh you know If Sam's saying it's a similar uh, development curve as well, that seems like a pretty good defenseman. But, of course, Dobson may be gone before the Oilers uh, get the chance to pick. I still love Bouchard, but he's a guy that could go before the Oilers as well. But he has a a great shot, really good on the power play, works well with skilled guys, and he's a great first pass out of uh, the D zone. So he'd be a guy I'd be uh, looking at, but uh, we'll wait and see what happens when the Oilers uh, get to the draft. In Dallas. One twenty three Nebus, and we'll take a time out. We'll come back with more of your text messages. John Paddock go to Regina at one thirty five as well here in Oilers now.
0: showroom on St. Albert Trail, fill your fan cave at ProAmSports.ca That's ProAmSports.ca This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on
1: Oilers Radio, 630
2: Chad. It's 126 in Edmonton Brendan Ulrich, Devin Horn with you, Bob Stoffer in Disneyland this week here on Oilers Now, you can text us 630-630 Lots of uh, texts coming in here Lots of uh, rumors out of Carolina. I was trying to get uh, someone from Carolina on the program today to talk about uh, what's going on there and what they expect uh, for the off season, But uh, we'll have to wait on that front and uh, see what happens there. But a text on Carolina says, With Carolina offering the number two pick plus stating everyone is available besides Aho, I would at least be considering dry Settle for three to four pieces there. For, say, the number two pick, Tara Vine and Skinner and Lindholm, I bet they would do it with you. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, I would not be looking to trade dry settle. Um If the Oilers did trade him, I think Carolina does have uh, a lot of pieces that could work, but I don't see it happening. I mean, the Oilers invested in dry Settle long term. I still have a lot of faith in dry Settle. Being a big-time player for the Oilers moving forward, I'm not sure why everyone's so uh, eager to trade a guy like Drysaddle. We traded Hall, now we want to trade Drysaddle. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You look at Carolina though; they have some pieces that would be intriguing to the Oilers, no doubt about that. They aren't trading Aho. I I still don't think they're going to trade that number two pick. I mean, maybe they want a center, and they have some good wingers. So that would maybe make sense. I mean, the number two picks in in the mix for the Oilers, maybe that's something you would consider. I don't know if the Oilers would be looking at Skinner or Tara Vine or Lindholm. I think they would be more uh, intrigued by one of those defensemen on the back end, like a Hannafin or someone like that out of Carolina. But no doubt about that, there's a lot of smoke out there. Carolina looks like they'll be one of the busier teams this offseason, and perhaps the Oilers and uh, Hurricanes could hook up on a trade at some point, but I do not see the Oilers trading dry settle to Carolina. It's at 128, 9 and 10. We'll take a time out for the one thirty news. When we come back, we'll head out to Regina and be joined by the head coach of the Pats, John Paddock.